and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams of pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hello, Lauren. Hello. So, um, you know, I've been I've been really cranking out the whole, you know, <clears throat> I've been doing senses. Yes. Right? Everybody loves I, a sense. Everybody loves a sense. So I'm like, I got to go back. I got to go back to the drawing board. I got to go back to my other series that I haven't finished. That you've abandoned. That I've abandoned. I mean, that's the word. Let's be honest. That's definitely what I've done. Uh, So I was like, what haven't I done in a minute? And granted, I haven't done a a space one in a while. Uh, But today is not that day. Uh, So I was like, oh, I remember my series on series. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go into like a little bit of a YA literary fashion this evening or afternoon, depending on when you're listening. And uh, today I'm going to be doing a series on series on The Hunger Games. Terrific. Yeah. Fantastic. So have you, first of all, my question is, have you read The Hunger Games? I read the th- original three Hunger Games. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes, as have I. And I think you and I and Victoria went to see at least the first two movies. Yes. Right? Yeah. I don't think I saw Mockingjay. I don't think I saw Mockingjay either. And I think what they did was they split the last into book two. into two exactly. movies. Like the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I just didn't care didn't enough care enough to, <laughs> <laughs> to go see two movies, especially I since the, I knew. Okay. No. Yeah, I'm going to let you talk. And then, I, and then I'll give my opinion on movies later. <laughs> great. Great. All right. Good, good, good. Okay, so The Hunger Games is a series written by Suzanne Collins, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Suzanne Collins, the author. Mm -hmm. So she actually has a background in playwriting. She has an MFA in dramatic writing from Tisch, Um, and she began her career as a writer for children's TV shows and worked on several shows for Nickelodeon, including Clarissa Explains It All, The Mystery Files of Shelby Woo, Little Bear, and Oswald. I was like, I had no idea. That's so interesting. I don't know what Tisch is. It's not not just like a person that was just it's, like no here you go Suzanne you're hey, allowed Tish. to how you doing girl <laughs> no it's um New York Tisch School for the Arts okay mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so after she met children's author uh James uh Priomos while working on the kids WB show Generation O she felt inspired to write children's books herself so she wrote um a, a series called the Underland Chronicles and I had no idea that this was even a thing. But um, the first book was called Gregor the Overlander, uh, which is the first book of the series. And her inspiration for that book came from Alice in Wonderland when she was thinking about how it would be one was more likely to fall down a manhole than a rabbit hole and would find <laughs> something other than a tea party. So it's Ooh. a little dark. So between 2003 and 2007, she wrote the five books of the Underland Chronicles, and they are as mentioned before, Gregor the Overlander, Gregor and the Prophecy of Bane, Gregor and the Curse of the Warm Bloods, Gregor and the Marks of Secret, and Gregor and the Code of Claw. Uh, during that time, she also wrote a rhyming picture book called When Charlie McButton Lost Power. Uh, and in September of 2008, uh, Scholastic Press released The Hunger Games, uh, the first book of the trilogy by Collins. Um, the Hunger Games was partly inspired by the Greek myth of Theseus and the Minotaur, and another inspiration was her father's career in the Air Force, which gave her insight to poverty, starvation, and the effects of war. Oh, okay. 
Um, the books also have, uh, as you know, it's so funny that you talked about uh, Fortnite last week, but this idea of like battle royale mm-hmm. where children are battling each other to the death, that definitely has a lot to do with the Hunger Games, Battle Royale, Lord of the Flies, like that kind of yeah, thing right. has, is a major inspiration for the Hunger Games series. Um, the trilogy's second book, Catching Fire, was released in 2009, and the third book, Mocking Jay, was released in 2010. So they were like boom, 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 right, one right mm-hmm. after the other. So within 14 months, 1.5 million copies of the first two Hunger Games books were printed in North America alone. And the Hunger Games was on the New York Times bestseller list for more than 60 weeks in a row. Uh, Lionsgate Entertainment acquired worldwide distribution rights to a film adaptation of the Hunger Games produced by Nina Jacobson's Color Force production company. And actually, uh, Suzanne Collins adapted the novel for film herself. So she actually wrote the screenplay. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to go through all of the books. I mean, spoiler alert, I'm going to give like the uh, plot synopsis of all the books. We'll probably talk a little bit about like, like just some plot points and like some interesting things about it and that kind of thing. Uh, you and I have both read the books. Uh, granted, it was, I think it was like yeah, 2009, they, yeah, 2010. Yeah, they've been out for it. more than a decade at this yeah, point. Yeah, so I don't really remember like the nitty gritty gory mm-hmm. details, but I'm sure we'll have a lot to say. So if you don't know... Hunger Games trilogy takes place in an unspecified future time in the dystopian post-apocalyptic nation of Panem, which is located in North America. So the country consists of a wealthy capital city, which is located in the Rocky Mountains, surrounded by 12 or originally actually 13 poor districts ruled by the capital. Um, The capital is lavishly rich and technologically advanced, but the districts are in varying states of poverty. Uh, The trilogy's narrator and protagonist Katniss Everdeen lives in District 12, which is the poorest region of Panem and located in Appalachia, where people regularly die of starvation. Um, As punishment for a past rebellion against the capital called the Dark Days, in which District 13 was destroyed, one boy and one girl from each of the 12 remaining districts between the ages of 12 and 18 are selected by lottery to compete in an annual pageant called The Hunger Games. The games are a televised event in which the participants, called Tributes, are forced to fight to the death in a dangerous public arena. Great. The winning Tribute and his her home district are then rewarded with food, supplies, and riches. So they have an incentive to win. Mm-hmm. Um, the purposes of the Hunger Games are to provide, one, entertainment for the capital and to remind the districts of the capital's power and lack of remorse, forgetfulness, and forgiveness for the failed rebellion of the current competitor's ancestors. So... Um, An interesting thing, there's, like, a map that I found online of, like, what the districts are and where Mm -hmm. they are, like, kind of superimposed on top of, like, North America. So each of the districts are assigned an industry that basically benefits the capital. So, for example, District 6 is transportation. They're located kind of in the Michigan area, Mm -hmm. as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. District 9, agriculture grain, is, like, in the Midwest. Okay. Um, District 12 is, like, mining, Mm -hmm. which is in Appalachia, so you think, like, West Virginia, like, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of the same. Although, I always imagined in the books, I never realized that the the capital was, like, in the Rocky Mountains. It's, like, up, like, Utah, Montana kind of area. Okay. When I I always imagined the capital to be, like, Washington, Mm D.C. Um, if you're curious, Julia, we are currently living in what used to be District 13. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so District 13 is like like New England, New York State, and Northern Pennsylvania, basically. All right. Yeah. Um, so, as mentioned before, series is narrated by Katniss Everdeen. She's 16. 
Um, she volunteers for the 74th Hunger Games in place of her 12-year-old sister, Primrose. So Katniss, she's an outdoorsy kind of gal. Uh, she hunts and she fishes illegally to keep her and her family fed. And she's got a best friend named Gail Hawthorne, who is a total stud. And she might have feelings for her. No one knows. <laughs> she doesn't even know. She doesn't even know. <laughs> um, but the male tribute ends up being Peta Malark, who is a former schoolmate of Katniss, who once gave her bread from his family's bakery when her family was starving. <laughs> um, and in the days leading up to the games in the Capitol, they're given advice by their mentor, who is also a drunk. His name is Hamish Abernathy, the sole living District 12 victor of the Hunger Games. Um, they are also given advice by chaperone Effie Trinket from the Capitol and various stylists to enhance their public perception to get potential sponsors who will send potentially life-saving gifts during the games. So Katniss's stylist, Sina, designed special co- costumes for Katniss and Peeta that set them apart from the other tributes when introduced to the public. And due to Katniss's dress, which had the theme of fire, she became known as the girl on fire. Um, and during their evaluation by the game makers... Katniss unexpectedly gets the highest score amongst the others because she is an archer. uh, And so she's very um, adept at hunting Mm -hmm. and being, you know, athletic and having sharp eyes and being able to stalk prey, like all of this stuff. So she's basically just like this incredible badass. So meanwhile, Rue, who is this little 12-year-old girl tribute from District 11, she follows Katniss and Peter around during the training sessions. And on the day before the games, in the televised interview with Caesar Flickerman, who's kind of like the television host of the Hunger Games and like gets, gets to know, gets the audience to know all of the tributes, um, Peter reveals his long unrequited love for Katniss. She is initially shocked by this and believes this is a ploy to gain sponsors, but later accepts this as sincere. Mm. So Hamish sees this and he's like, we're going to promote their image as this kind of like star-crossed lovers, this beautiful like Romeo and Juliet story. So the games begin and Katniss manages to survive by forming an alliance with Rue, mostly to protect her because, well, she's 12. 12. And uh, discovers that her sister. Yeah, reminds her of her sister. She's very uh, delicate. She's, you know, like from another kind of poor uh, district. And so she she really feels like a sisterly bond with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katniss also discovers that PETA forms a false alliance with the other tributes in order to protect Katniss. Um, but alas, Rue is murdered. And it's super sad. And Katniss covers her body in flowers to show her defiance against the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Um, then a rule change is announced, allowing the tributes from the same district to win as a pair. So Katniss goes and finds Peta, and she nurses him because he's wounded. And so she acts the part of a girl in love to get gifts. So people are starting to like really fall in love with them as a couple. So when the game makers send a delivery of what each contestant needs most, Katniss risks her life to obtain medicine for Peta, and it saves his life. But they both spend time hunting and collecting food in the meantime. Um, eventually Katniss and Peeta become the last two survivors, but the game makers revoke the rule change to force one to kill the other for a dramatic finale. But in defiance, Katniss prepares to consume the poisonous nightlock berries with Peeta and realizing they intend to commit suicide so that there won't be a victor for the games. The game makers declare Katniss and Peeta the victors. And this happens like literally in the moments where they're like, about to put the berries in their mouths at the exact same time. So they die at the exact same moment. There's like an announcement over the loudspeakers like, no, stop. You both win. Um, So they win. Hooray, hooray. They both receive a hero's welcome as a couple. 
Katniss is warned by Hamish that the Capitol may take action against her for her defiance. Mm-hmm. They don't love what she's doing. Um, and also along the way back to District 12, Peta is heartbroken to learn that Katniss's actions were part of a calculated ploy to gain sympathy. But Katniss internally, because she's the narrator, you hear like all of her thoughts. Yeah. She's actually kind of unsure of her own feelings in her future. She's kind of torn between. So she's you know, 16. She's 16. Like she had a hot guy at home, didn't know how to feel about him. Then she's got this great guy who's really sweet. And here's the thing. <clears throat> like in reading the books, <laughs> you can tell what kind of heterosexual girl you are by what, who you would choose. <laughs> would you choose who who would you choose? Would you choose Gail or would you choose Peta? And there's no wrong answer. It's, you know, they're both in throughout the books, super good guys who treat her with respect and are, you know, on the right side of, you know, history or whatever. But I will tell you, I'm a Peta girl all the way. <gasps> I am a Peta girl left, right, and center. I'm well, sorry. you're wrong. No, I am not. <laughs> now here. I mean, okay. The reason why I would choose PETA is because PETA is, he lets Katniss be Katniss. He lets her be strong and powerful. And he's like, you know what? You go out and save this world. I'm going to be home baking a big, beautiful loaf of bread for you, babe. And I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to nurse your wounds. And I'm going to let you be you. And then I will be the comforting, warm arm that you can rely on when you get home. See, that's my jam. That's why I married Steve. <laughs> so he <laughs> can bake Steve, bread while you're out he can changing bake the bread world? While I'm out changing the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't get me wrong. Gail is handsome. He's athletic. He's, you know, more like Katniss. You know, they're more similar. Right. But I'm a PETA girl. I'm sorry. I think I didn't, um, I didn't really pick one over the other until later in the series when okay. somebody was just being like completely useless and I was like All right. well uh, well oh, okay well we'll get there All right. okay. <laughs> we'll get there there were extenuating circumstances there okay the second book is called Catching Fire <laughs> so this is what happens so it happens almost the, the storyline picks right? up like literally yeah. like almost immediately so after winning the 74th Hunger Games Katniss and Peta return home Six months later, prior to their, like, victory tour of the country, which happens every year when the victors, they, they do, like, a victory tour and they visit all the districts, basically, like, gloating over, like, their wins. We did it. You did it. Yeah, we did it. You didn't. <clears throat> um, so before they leave, President Snow, who is the main antagonist of the books, um, he visits and tells Katniss that her televised acts of defiance in the previous games have inspired rebellion among the districts. Mm-hmm. And he demands that Katniss convince the country that she was acting out of love for PETA, not against the Capitol, or her entire family and best friend Gail will be executed. So she is freaked out, and so she tells Hamish, but she doesn't tell PETA because she doesn't want to freak him out. Um, and the tour's first stop is District 11, which is home of Katniss's Hunger Games ally, Rue, and Peta announces that he will give part of his winnings to the families of Rue and the and her fellow tribute Thresh. Mm-hmm. And Katniss delivers an impromptu, heartfelt speech expressing her gratitude to the fallen tributes. And in this moment, an old man salutes Katniss, joined by the crowd. But to her horror, the old man is immediately executed. Mm. And the salute is described in the book, and it's and you see it in the movie. It's like three fingers pressed together, you know, like, and you kiss, and you then you like bring your fingers mm-hmm. out. That's like the salute that becomes this um, rebellion salute. Mm-hmm. 
So Katniss finally tells Peeta of Snow's threat, and they continue. They try to continue the tour as normal. Um, hoping to placate Snow, Peeta proposes to Katniss during a televised interview in the Capitol, and she accepts. But Snow feels like it's not sincere, and he she's still, like, freaked out that he's going to kill all of her friends and family. Um, so returning to District 12, now overrun with harsher peacekeepers to enforce the Capitol's rule, Katniss discovers an uprising has broken out in District 8. Gail is caught poaching and is whipped in the town square until Hamish intervenes. Um, and while hunting in the woods, Katniss meets refugees from District 8, whose uprising has failed. Ugh. And they, these people, plan to reach District 13, which was believed to be destroyed in the first rebellion against the Capitol, in the hope that the residents are actually underground. There's all these rumors that there's actually District 13 is kind of rising up again. They're living underground. So preparing for her upcoming wedding, Katniss learns that Districts 3 and 4 have also risen up against the Capitol. Um, the Capitol announces the 75th Hunger Games with a twist. Uh, tributes will be selected from the surviving victors of the previous games. So Katniss realizes that she must compete alongside either Haymitch or Peeta because they're the only three surviving victors of previous right. Hunger Games. And Haymitch is eventually chosen, but is unable to stop Peeta volunteering in his place. Mm. So Katniss and Peeta have to go back to the Hunger Games. So at the Capitol, Haymitch urges Katniss to find allies, but she actually bonds with the weakest tributes because that's just like her personality. Like she's going to try and protect the people who need it the most. Um, in the televised interview, Katniss's stylist, Cinna, transforms the white wedding gown Snow insisted she wear into a black dress of feathers resembling a mocking jay, which is a symbol of the rebellion, which was a pin that her mother gives her right. at the beginning of the books. And so the mocking jay becomes her symbol and ultimately the symbol of the rebellion. Um, before Katniss is sent into the arena, however, she watches helplessly as Cinna is beaten unconsciously by the peacekeepers. Um, so they're on, they're in the Hunger Games. Here we go. They, Katniss and Peeta, they find each other. They ally themselves with Finnick O'Dare from District 4 and Mags, who is his 80-year-old mentor. Um, Peeta is knocked out by the jungle arena's force field, and the party leader has to flee from a poisonous fog. And Mags sacrifices herself to allow Finnick to save the weakened Peeta. And can I tell you, this, the part where Mags, like, sac like, she literally, like, runs into the poisonous fog or something like that, it's terribly sad in both the book and the film. I mean, the fact that they would do this from, like, any of the survivors is a real, like, crazy thing in in of itself because they're – that was, like, the one thing that each district had going for them was, like, mm -hmm. they had a winner and, like, yeah. they got all these rewards and stuff because of that. But then yeah. they're – they know that, oh, they're going to kill off a bunch of the victors, too? Yeah, like, that's exactly. I will say for what is – technically and and for all intents and purposes a young adult novel it is a brutal book yeah like children get murdered in horrible ways yeah people like the characters in this book especially katniss like especially by definitely at least this book the yeah. second one which is my favorite um like these people experience ptsd mm -hmm. they have a lot of like bad mental health issues yeah. due to these horrible things happening to them and the people around them. And I, I appreciate that in the book that it's not just treated as like, like a game. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's this idea of like, these are real people and children who are forced right. to do this for entertainment. So it's a great like thought experiment for sure. Yeah. I loved the first book. And then the second book, when this came around, I was like, all right. Yeah. Oh, you see, just I wanted love the to, book. 
you just needed to write something like to yeah. make them go back into the game. Sure, 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 sure. I mean, I liked it. Well, I like this this island like setting for the second book. I just really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, Mag sacrifices herself to allow Finnick to save Peta. Katniss and Peta ally with Joanna Mason from District 7 and the exceptionally smart BT and Wyrus from District 3. Uh, District 3 is like the technology, like, district. Um, Wyrus says that the arena is arranged like a clock with each danger occurring at a fixed time and place for one hour. However, Wyrus is killed and in retaliation, Katniss and Johanna kill the tributes of District 1's victors. The remaining tributes work on BD's plan to harness lightning to electric, electrocute the District 2 tributes, who later interferes and disrupts the plan. Katniss uses her bow and arrow to direct the lightning into the force field, destroying it and knocking her unconscious. So Katniss suddenly wakes up en route to District 13 with Finnick, BT, and Haymitch, and she learns from Haymitch and Plutarch Heavensby, who's the head gamekeeper who's actually, like, on their side, uh, that there has been a plan to rescue Katniss, now the living symbol of the rebellion. So now she is like unbeknownst to her and also not due to anything that she has done like consciously, the symbol of the rebellion against the Capitol. Mm -hmm. So Peta along with Johanna and another tribute have been captured by the Capitol. And she later learns from Gail that though her family and some other residents have escaped district 12 has been destroyed. So things are getting super real by the end of the second book. So mocking Jay. So I've noticed this with like, Specifically, like, the Lord of the Rings series. The first book is like, okay, we're setting this up. This mm-hmm. is cool. I got a great premise. Second book is, a, for me, usually the best. That's when they really start getting into the shit. Okay. Like, the storyline is being advanced. You're learning more about the characters, that kind of thing. And then the third book is where things go absolutely haywire. Like, yes. like this is... The third book is always, like, <clears throat> a huge battle. There's, you know, crosses and double crosses. There's violence. There's, Aliens. you know... Aliens. Ghosts. There's ghosts. It's crazy. So Mockingjay is 100% that. (laughs) Like, things go, things pop off in a major way. So, after the event of the first, the second book, excuse me, Katniss, her mother, her sister Primrose, mentor Hamish, and her friends Finnick and Gail, along with the survivors from District 12, adjust to life in the underground District 13, headquarters of the rebellion in Panem. So, it was true, rumors were true, District 13 is underground. So Katniss reluctantly agrees to act as the Mockingjay, the symbol of the rebellion for rebel propaganda, on the condition that the District 13 president, whose name is Alma Coyne, grant immunity to all surviving Hunger Games tributes, including Katniss's friend Peta and Finnick's lover Annie Cresta. Uh, Coyne, however, insists on flipping for Katniss's other demand, the right to personally execute President Coriolanus Snow. Mm. Um, PETA, in the meantime, is tortured by the Capitol to demoralize Katniss, and a rescue team extracts PETA along with the other captured victors, but discover that he has been brainwashed to fear and despise Katniss. So, Julia, he was brainwashed. He didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> she's she's nodding at me in a very sarcastic manner through the screen right now, and I do not appreciate it. I love my, my wonderful PETA. So... He actually attempts to kill her. Again, brainwashed. Not his fault. Um, and he is restrained under heavy guard while medics seek a cure. And Finnick and Annie marry in a propaganda effort. So in Mockingjay, you start to see <clears throat> this idea of, like, sometimes the rebellion isn't the the best option. Like, the organized rebellion sometimes isn't 
the saving grace that you thought it was going mm-hmm. to be. There's just as much of this propaganda, violence, like thirst for power on the quote unquote good uh-huh. guy side as there is on the bad guy side. And I thought that that was a really interesting take on this very common, you know, story trope. Yes. Cause you're supposed and, to think that Alma coin is like, she's been secretly plotting how to save every district from yeah. underground all this time. And then it turns out like some of the things that she decides to do are not what you would think that the good guy would be doing. Exactly. Exactly. And so, it's this idea of Katniss being torn between these two forces and realizing that she she's not a lot she doesn't feel aligned with either one of them. Mm-hmm. She she wants freedom for her for people. And it seems like this is not what anybody right. who is in power right now wants. So um so they're working for the rebels right now, but Katniss and Gale are sent to persuade District 2 to join the rebellion. And unfortunately, Gail's controversial strategy results in a decisive victory over District 2, enabling a final assault against the capital itself. So Katniss is assigned to a squad and sent with a film crew to shoot propaganda. And that's another cool thing about these books, is that during this entire time, this is all being televised. Mm-hmm. Um, she is outfitted. She is given things to say. She is followed around with a camera the entire time, whether she's, you know, a symbol of the rebellion or she's a symbol of the capital or a symbol of district 12 or whatever. She is always being seen as Mm -hmm. a symbol. Mm -hmm. Um, President Coyne also sends PETA still dangerous and unpredictable. um, And Katniss suspects Coyne wants her dead for her lack of support and growing influence. While filming in a supposedly safe capital neighborhood, the team's commander Boggs is fatally wounded. And before dying, he gives Katniss the team's command. So now she's got, she's in charge of this squad. Um, so she decides to infiltrate the Capitol and kill Snow, telling her team that this was Coin's secret plan. And she later reveals this is a lie, but the team sticks with her anyway. And in the as- ensuing urban warfare, many of Katniss's comrades, including Finnick, are killed. And as the last of her squad reaches Snow's mansion, a hover plane bearing the Capitol seal drops bombs among a group of children being used as human shields. Uh, also, rebel medics, including Prim, rush in to help the injured children and the remaining Bob's detonate and Katniss's sister Primrose is killed and Katniss sustains severe burns. So as she recuperates, she's deeply depressed over her sister's death. She then learns the rebels have taken over the capital and Snow is to be publicly executed. So she goes and confronts him and he claims that Coyne orchestrated the bombings to turn Snow's remaining supporters against him. So it's actually Coyne who killed her sister. Um, so horrified, she realizes that Gail had earlier proposed actually a similar tactic, and she becomes convinced that rather than establish a republic governed by representatives from each district, Coyne intends to just take Snow's place and maintain the status quo, mm-hmm. which is like the great horrific reveal of this whole series. Um, Coyne uh, hosts a referendum for the remaining victors to decide whether to host another Hunger Games for the capital children. Although three, including PETA, are against the plan, Katniss Hamish and two others outvote them. Uh, so she's set to execute Snow, but Katniss instead shoots Coin and immediately attempts suicide. But Peta stops her and she is arrested in the ensuing riot. Uh, Snow is later found dead and Commander Paylor of District 8 takes over as president. Uh, Katniss is acquitted of murder by reason of insanity and sent home to District 12 while her mother leaves for District 4 and Gail leaves for District 2. Other District 12 na- natives later return, including Peta, who has recovered his memories and his love for Katniss. She embraces him, recognizing her need for his hope and his strength. That's what 
That's what she needs. That's what I'm saying. She needs a square hope. man who can bake bread. Yada, yes, yada, yada. A square man who can bake bread and has hope and strength. That's what I'm saying, Julia. Together, they write a book to preserve the memory of those who died. Though still suffering flashbacks and screaming nightmares, they manage to comfort each other. Like, that's another cool thing about this book is that at the end, it's not like, hooray, everything's fine. Like, these people, these poor children are like broken mm-hmm. by this. So in an epilogue, 20 years later, Katniss and Peeta are married. They have two children. Um, they are still under Paler's administration. The Hunger Games are abolished with the arenas replaced by memorials. Katniss is beyond joyful with her new life and her family, but she still carries mental and emotional scars and dreads the day her children learn about their parents' involvement in the war and the games. When she feels distressed, Katniss plays a comforting, repetitive game, reminding herself of every good thing she has ever seen someone do. The series ends with Katniss's reflection that there are much worse games to play. Um, I really liked the books. I thought the movies were perfectly fine. I mean, I liked they were the kind visually of embodi- interesting. Yes, I like some of the, the casting was really cool. Yeah, I like, like the Lenny embodiment Kra- of the Lenny characters. Lenny Kravitz was Sinna, right? Yes, and he was perfect as Sinna. Mm-hmm. And in, um, in the Tooch. Oh, oh we love the Tooch. Oh, to- Stanley Tucci as Caesar Flickerman was the best casting I have ever seen in my whole life. He had like this beautiful, like bronze, fakey fake tan and giant white teeth. It was just so perfect. He was great casting. Um, Elizabeth Banks was Effie Trinket, yeah. and that uh-huh. was wonderful. Um, I mean, you know, Jennifer Lawrence did a great job as Katniss. That was kind of like mm-hmm. sort of her breakout, like super superstar role. Um, Josh Hutcherson plays Peta, and you know he's a square guy, so I'm all about it. And uh, um, Liam Hemsworth, Liam Hemsworth. plays Gale. Yeah, and I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna <laughs> pick between Liam Hemsworth and Josh Hutcherson. <laughs> I'm just saying, mm. but like, you know, you're not gonna kick a Hemsworth out of bed. You know what I'm saying? Like, even Larry Hemsworth. Hemsworth. Even Larry Hemsworth. <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, I mean, the books. The book is always gonna be better, but. You know, I thought the movies did a nice job visually, for sure. But like, like we said, like I didn't bother to watch the last two movies, right. so clearly it didn't grab me as much as it should have, I guess. So finally, um, I should say it should be mentioned that a prequel to The Hunger Games came out last year, in yes. twenty twenty. I had no idea. It was called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and that tells the story of the early days of The Hunger Games, and actually has President Coriolana Snow as the main pr- protagonist. He's okay. a He's like uh, initially like a tribute and then he becomes a game maker. And so he's kind of this, it's like the story of how he like became who he is. Interesting. Because I was going to say earlier, nobody with the name Coriolanus is a good guy. But No, they're never a good guy. But apparently he's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, given this kind of like, you know, morally ambiguous world that this story takes place in, he's, I guess, the quote unquote good guy. All right. Um, the book got mixed reviews, but there's already a movie in the works, so I guess it can't be that bad. So stay tuned for that. So my quiz for today, given Mockingjay and Songbirds and Snakes, my quiz today is a quiz about songbirds. Okay, here we go. Tweet, tweet. Question, tweet, tweet. Question number one. This songbird family includes common North American birds, such as the bluebird and the robin. The name comes from the Old English and is also the name of a gross oral yeast infection. What is this bird family? 
Question number two. Which name came first, Cardinal the Bird or Cardinal the senior member of the Catholic clergy? Question number three. This ground-dwelling Australian bird has a beautiful song and distinctive tail feathers that the males use to display to females. It gets its name from the distinctive shape of these tail feathers, which remind us of a certain ancient stringed instrument. Who is this bird? Question number four. These annoying birds are everywhere, taking over your bird feeder, grazing in your yard, and generally just being obnoxious. They're noisy birds with black iridescent plumage, and many gardeners of fruits and vegetables hate the sight of them. What is this annoying bird with a pretty name? Question number five. Swallows are tolerant of humans and tend to nest near people. Because of this, we have had a long history of folklore and myths based around swallows. One famous Roman historian described a use of painted swallows to deliver a report of the winning horses at a race. Who is this historian who is also an author, a naturalist, and natural philosopher, a naval and army commander of the early Roman Empire, and a friend of Emperor Vespasian? He wrote the encyclopedic Naturalis Historia, which became an editorial model for encyclopedias. Question number six. True or false, although they look alike, crows and ravens are not in the same family. Question number seven. A popular 1820 poem, To a Skylark, was inspired by the melodious song of the titular bird during an evening walk. The author of this poem was a major romantic poet, although he did not receive fame during his lifetime, since he drowned in a boating accident at 29. His second wife was famous on her own, and who is arguably the mother of horror literature. Who is this poet? Question number eight. This bird is the state bird of South Carolina and features on the reverse of the South Carolina state quarter. The Eurasian cousin of these birds is long been considered the king of birds in Europe and is a relatively popular name for baby girls. What is this bird? Question number nine. Birds of paradise are almost exclusively seen in Eastern Australia and this oceanic country that occupies half of a larger island. It became an independent Commonwealth realm in 1975 with Elizabeth II as its queen. What is this island nation? And finally, question number 10. A shrike is a tiny carnivorous bird that has the unsettling habit of catching insects and small vertebrates and impaling their bodies on thorns, the spikes on barbed wire fences, or any available sharp point. This helps them to tear the flesh into smaller, more conveniently sized fragments. Because of this, shrikes tend to come up in fiction, as in an episode of this TV series where a serial killer known as the Minnesota Shrike, due to the way he mounted his victims on deer antlers. What is this series, which is based on a book and movie series by Thomas Harris? I'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be back with your answers.
la 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 quiz on birds won't this be so sweet and kind <laughs> and then she's like the the serial killer impaled a bunch of its, of its victims on it's some not wood. real it's a it's a fictional character in a fictional series don't worry about it okay here we go question number one this songbird family includes common North American birds such as the bluebird and the robin. The name comes from the Old English and is also the name of a gross oral yeast infection. What is this bird family? Is it Candida? No. <laughs> no, but that's a really uh, good guess. Oh, um, the oral one. Th- well, that's thrush. I don't know. What is it? It is thrush. It is thrush. Oh, okay. They're called thrushes. Um, apparently the yeast infection is called thrush because it looks like the white patches on a thrush's breast. It's just, it's just (laughs) really gross. Anyway. Question number two, which name came first, Cardinal the bird or Cardinal the senior member of the Catholic clergy? Inquan the Catholic. Yes, the clergy. Uh, the northern cardinal type species was named by colonists for the male's red crest, reminiscent of a Catholic cardinal's beretta, which is the square cap they wear with a little, little palm on top. Uh, Question number three, this ground-dwelling Australian bird has a beautiful song and distinctive tail feathers that the males use to display to females. It gets its name from the distinctive shape of these tail feathers, which remind us of a certain ancient stringed instrument. What is this bird? Is it a lyre? It is. It's a lyabird. Lyabird? A lyabird. Sorry, Um, Zoe. (laughs) Sorry, Zoe. Hello. (laughs) Uh, Australians are very proud of their lyre birds and feature as symbols and emblems on lots of things, including the 10-cent coin on the $100 note, the emblem of New South Wales National Parks and Wildlife Services, as well as numerous companies and associations. Question number four. These annoying birds are everywhere, taking over your bird feeder, grazing in your yard, and generally just being obnoxious. They're noisy birds with black iridescent plumage, and many gardeners of fruits and vegetables hate the sight of them. What is this annoying bird with a pretty name? Well, actually, thank you for the pretty name clue, because first I wrote Grackle, and that's not a pretty name, but I'm going with Starling. It is Starlings. Um, Apparently, they're very good mimics, but their song has been described as, quote, unmusical, but varied. Like, very chattery. Yeah. We can tell when they're at the bird feeder in the backyard. They're so annoying. They look like oil slicks. They're kind of gross. Okay, question number five. Swallows are tolerant of humans and tend to nest near people. Because of this, we've had a long history of folklore and myths based around swallows. One famous Roman historian described a use of painted swallows to deliver a report of the winning horses at a race. Who is this historian who is also an author, a naturalist and natural philosopher, a naval and army commander of the early Roman Empire, and a friend of Emperor Vespasian? He wrote the encyclopedic Naturalis Historia, which became an editorial model for encyclopedias. Okay, I'm flipping a coin here. Okay. I'm going to go with Petrarch. No. Who was the other one? Uh, Herodotus. No, it's Pliny the Elder. Pliny. Pliny the Elder. Yeah. All right. Question number six. True or false? Although they look alike, crows and ravens are not in the same family. True. No, false. They are both members of a large and varied family called Corvidae, which includes, ready for this list? Crows, ravens, rooks, jackdaws, jays, magpies, tree pies, chaffs, and nutcrackers. What the fuck is a tree pie? I don't know. They're they look like magpies, but they live, live in, in a tree. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, the way to tell the difference is that ravens are larger, 
They have like a curvier beak and they have a low growling voice. They go like that. And crows are the call ones. When you hear, that's a crow. <laughs> and cr- ravens are huge. Yes. They're like really big. And they have like a little beard too. They've got like a little floofy mm. beard under their beak. They're pretty cute. And there's I always like- at least six living at the Tower of London. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Question number seven. A popular 1820 poem to a skylark was inspired by the melodious song of the titular bird during an evening walk. The author of this poem was a major romantic poet, although he did not receive fame during his lifetime, since he drowned in a boating accident at 29. His second wife was famous on her own and who is arguably the mother of horror literature. Who is this poet? That's Percy Shelley, that who is- I always envision as like a very tiny man with big spectacles, just because his <laughs> name is Percy. Oh, you know? I love that. I love that that visual. Um, <laughs> yes, it's Percy Bysshe Shelley. <laughs> Would you like to read my poem? Would you like to read my poem? I don't like the water. Oh, no. And then he drowns. Um, so uh, I didn't. I never knew how to pronounce his middle name. Percy Bish Shelley. It's just Bish. Uh, apparently, okay, after his death, they decided to cremate him on a beach. So when his body was cremated on the beach, his, quote, unusually small heart resisted burning, possibly due to calcification from an earlier tubercular infection. His friend gave the scorched heart to author Lee Hunt, who preserved it in spirits of wine and refused to hand it over to his wife, Mary. And he finally, he finally like gave it up and the heart was eventually buried. But can you imagine? That's so Ew. weird. Right they used to do so worst. much different stuff with organs. Back in, I mean, that was like the 19th Ugh. century, wasn't it? Yeah, that wasn't that long ago. Like, it's not like, you know like the iron age or whatever like these are people who <laughs> wrote in english see what I have in the shelf over there yeah it's my friend's heart <laughs> we burned him on a beach he drowned um okay question number 8 this bird is the state bird of south carolina features on the reverse of the south carolina state quarter the eurasian cousin of these birds uh, has long been considered the king of birds in europe and is a relatively popular name for baby girls what is this bird? Hmm. I'm trying to picture some South Carolina birds that are not a pelican. And I don't Ooh, know yeah. if you would name your baby Flamingo. <laughs> I mean, you know, given this day and age, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I don't have anything on this. Um, the answer is Wren. The Carolina wren. Okay. Um, Apparently, killing a wren or harassing its nest is associated with bad luck, such as broken bones, lightning strikes, or injury to cattle. Uh, The cactus wren was designated the state bird of Arizona in 1931. So two wrens, two state birds. Interesting. There you go. Yeah. What's the state bird in New York? Let me look it up. I think it's the robin. State bird. Oh, the eastern bluebird. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's nice. I have. I don't think I've ever seen one in New York State. Tbh, <laughs> the bluebird. But uh, yeah, Pennsylvania's is the ruffed grouse. Oh, it that's looks like respectable. a I mean, Yeah, like if you were that. like hiking in the Laurel Highlands, you might see a ruffed grouse. Yeah, yeah. There you go. But there's nothing wrong with it. It's boring. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we've got any bluebirds around here, so. What are you going to do? You know, we do have our state snack. 
the apple muffin. <laughs> That's true. And they can't take that away from us. That's for sure. The apple muffin. Get out of here. So many better snacks. All right. Question number nine. Birds of paradise are almost exclusively seen in eastern Australia and this oceanic country that occupies half of a larger island. It became an independent commonwealth realm in 1975 with Elizabeth as its queen. What is this island nation? Is it Papua New Guinea? It is Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea is one of the most culturally diverse countries in the world. As of 2019, it is also the most rural, as only 13.25% of its people live in urban centers. Interesting. There, there are 851 known languages in the country, of which 11 have no known speakers. <gasps> Isn't that wild? What? That's crazy. Yeah. That's great. It's cool. I would love to visit. Okay. And finally, question number 10. A shrike is a tiny carnivorous bird that has the unsettling habit of catching insects and small vertebrates and impaling their bodies on thorns, the spikes on barbed wire fences, or any available sharp point. This helps them to tear the flesh into smaller, more conveniently sized fragments. Because of this, shrikes tend to come up in fiction, as in an episode of this TV series where a serial killer known as the Minnesota Shrike, due to the way he mounted his victims on deer antlers. What is the series which is based on a book and movie series by Thomas Harris? Is it Hannibal? It is Hannibal. Um, I think Hannibal is still going. And I started watching it years ago when it started because I was like, oh, I like serial killers. Like, me, I'm a badass. I had to turn it off. (laughs) That was the first time I have ever, like, this is a mainstream, Mm -hmm. like, network television show. And you were like, ugh, I can't. I was like, "I I can't. This is horrifying. This is awful. Like, who are the writers? <laughs> they should be committed. In counseling. Yes. Yes. It's messed up. So anyway, <laughs> sorry to end on that. That probably shouldn't have been my last question. <laughs> I was like, oh, birds. Great. Birds, beautiful birds. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to mix it up and not have it be just like, what's this bird? What's this bird? I'm going to describe this bird. You're going to tell me what kind of bird it is. Like, I don't know a lot about birds. So, anyway, so that's how I got to serial killer. Great job. Great job. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Thanks, everybody. And uh, please, you know, my book is out. If you're interested in buying a book about patterns, 500 Patterns by me, Lauren Tagliaferro. Are there really 500 or is it like 487 and you guys just rounded up to 500? Uh, It's more like 620. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had way more than than we had initially thought. So uh, we managed to really pack them in. Um, so yeah, you get more patterns for your buck than advertised. So if anything, <laughs> it's a deal. It's and deal. it's still March. Yes. So um, you can still um, help out with our fundraiser for the National Women's Law Center this month if you purchase any merchandise from our Tea Public shop. Um, all of our proceeds this month are going to go to the National Women's Law Center. We're looking forward to, to sending them a nice donation um, and sharing it with all of you guys and, you know, having it be from the listeners of Miss Info Pod. So we're pretty yeah. excited about that. And thanks to everybody who has um, who has purchased items so far and donated and everything. Um, we totally appreciate it, and uh, we're excited to to keep going with this. And maybe we can do something like this again later in the month or something like that. So, kind of a pilot project on our end. And also, yeah, check out the merch store. We've got great merch that um, may or may not be uh, limited edition. So get things that you got your eye on while you can. That's it from us. 
Yeah. That's <laughs> oh, it. okay. That's it. That's, That's it. it. Goodbye. <laughs> I mean, you're still listening, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 You're We're done. done. All right. Um, thanks so much for listening, you guys. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Oh, uh, you know what? Oh, um, what? Longtime listeners of the show might want to keep an ear out for uh, another potential episode this week. Just saying. Oh, right. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Just tease, keep tease, an eye tease. on your feed. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now we're leaving. Bye. Bye.